that you would not climb up. There's no shadow that is too dark for you to illuminate. There is no depth that you would not go to for us. And oh Jesus, we declare all of this today in your goodness, in the joy of your presence. And oh Jesus, there's nothing, there's nothing, nothing, nothing that we could ever do to earn it or deserve it to make you love us anymore. And so Jesus, here we are today. Here we are today with all of our joys, all of our fears, all of our brokenness, all of the wholeness that we have found in you. And we lay ourselves at your feet in joy and privilege and praise that we can approach the King of Kings and be known not only as a dearly loved and redeemed son or daughter, but to be called friend. Oh God, we love you. Would you take our time in the word today and would you change us in it? God, may we not read this, may we not be here just to, to finish, but may we be here to change and may we not leave this place the same way we came to it. Oh, we love you, Jesus. And it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Oh, thank you so much, worship team, this morning. You know, sometimes, you know, having been served on worship teams for years, sometimes you, you, you work with a little bit of a skeleton crew or a little bit less of a, or, or what we would assume to be less of a crew than we're used to. And, and I'm just so thankful for the, the heart and the spirit of worship that's in this place. Today, I believe that, that Jesus, I believe that Jesus has words to speak to you today. Are you ready for that? Are we in? We gonna do this? Let's do it. The only law in the backwater settlement of Palamon was Magister Loken, and calling his methods law was a crime against the word itself. His reign and his rule were left largely unchallenged until Jaron Ward came to town. This mysterious gunslinger was a man of few words, but his actions drew the attention of all of Palamon, including Loken's. And Loken would make an example of Ward if it was the last thing that he would do. Loken's men found him in the courtyard on that fateful day, nine hearts colder than the steel trained on Jaron Ward. And Loken spoke. You question me? You question my authority? This is not your home. He meant to make an example of the man, a scene for all to remember. The people of Palamon were silent, just like Loken liked it. This is my home, my town, Loken shouted. Jaron Ward would be a lesson in obedience. 
His name would not inspire courage, but would remind the people of just who was in charge. And then, Jaron spoke, clear and calm. Not anymore. Loken cackled, taking in the audacity of his words. He had the upper hand. He was in control. This was his town, his law. Those gonna be your last words then, boy? What happened next would live on as legend as Jaron Ward spoke with the same fluidity in which he moved. Yours, not mine. The smoke lingered in the air as Loken fell, and Palamon would never be the same. While this may not be a familiar Wild West-like tale, it is one of many legends told in Bungie Incorporated's science fiction masterpiece, Destiny. The tale of the last word would impact events within this story, inspiring those who would live in the light while striking fear in those who would dabble in darkness. To bring it into the realm of, the, of t- today, we really like the last word, don't we? We really like to get that like, last word in, slide it in there. We really love that like, hot and spicy combo number five with those mic drop and clap back and back talking zingers on the side. We really, really, really love to have the last word. We love it so much because I think that deep down we're a lot like Magister Loken. We believe with a firm conviction that we're right and we have a better way of ending conversations usually, right? Like I'm the most right person that I know, right? Just like you're the most right person you know. And, and this notion has kind of been, uh, uh, it's, it's kind of been reinforced in our culture as you, you know, hear things, you know, people say things like, you know, you do you and, and you live your truth and you live your best life and, and stuff like that. Well, this morning, I want to take you to a moment. I want to take you to a moment where the living word has the last word and why that is both difficult news and good news for us here today even if it may not look like it at first. We're going to be covering uh, contextually a larger passage than we're going to read this morning, much like Pastor Mark did last week. You know, I, just, I want to give you the context so that at any point in time you can go back and refer to it. Um, but we're going to be reading a shorter segment here because I heard that some people get really angry when they get hungry. So just that's a favor from me it's a gift from me to you here this morning so we're going to be reading together in John chapter 6 starting in verse 60 and going through verse 69 it's going to be on the screen here but if you want to use the bible in the rack in front of you it's on page 866 I don't know what bible you have in front of you but I have it in on 1089 in mine not that that's relevant information to you but let's go ahead and read the word here this morning on hearing it Many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the the Son of Man ascend to where he he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. 
For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You, you have word, the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you, that you, Jesus, are the Holy One of God. Before we dive too deep in here, we have to ask some questions. What was this hard teaching? What was this teaching that was so hard to accept? Why were Jesus' disciples grumbling and why would Jesus deliberately offend them? If you look back into to John's accounts of the events surrounding Jesus up until this point, in this chapter alone, Jesus has performed a miracle of provision. He's fed over 5,000 men and there were leftovers. Guys, how many times have you gotten together with your friends and had a meal and there have been leftovers? Not many occasions. Moms, if you have teenage boys in your house, how often are there leftovers? Not often. <laughs> this, this number isn't really taking into account any women or children that may have been there as well. And then Jesus, he withdraws from there. He walks across the water, much to his disciples' astonishment. And then when they get to the other side of, of the, the, the lake there, there's a crowd that's waiting for Jesus. Because Jesus, in their summation, he's dinner and a show. He's the ultimate meal ticket. And wow, is it ever fun to watch him work? You never quite knew what you were going to get with Jesus. And as the crowd began to ask Jesus for more bread and more miracles and more signs and more wonders, Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And suddenly, everyone starts to take a step Back. They had come to expect the unexpected from Jesus. But then they began to murmur, isn't that Joseph's kid? Like, don't we know his dad, the carpenter? And then Jesus would double down on this. He would take it a step further and he would declare, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. And hold up, Jesus. We were all on board with you being the source of bread. We understand the parables. We understand there's metaphor here, but you're taking this into the realm of the cannibalistic and that's just frowned upon in polite societies. And it's into this atmosphere, and it's into this atmosphere where we come into this text. And the first thing that we see in our outline is number one, the opposition. The opposition. The people who were following Jesus objected to his words. 
They could not understand how a concept so heinous could come from someone who had done such wondrous things. I mean, this is Jesus. He, he brought the good wine to the wedding in Cana. He, he fed people. He taught with authority like no one else did. He, he brought healing to the sick and suddenly he's taking this really dark turn. He's talking about blood and flesh and death and is Jesus going through a late life emo phase? Like what's going on with Jesus here? And as we take a look, a close looker, look, as we take a closer look at these, uh, these objections, we can see where they came from. They came from letter A, spiritual blindness. The, the people could not, they could not see that Jesus was foreshadowing what would eventually happen. He would give up his life for them so that all might have eternal life with God. We, the church, would later celebrate this sacrifice. We remember this when we take communion. It's a celebration of remembrance that when we are taking this in, we're taking in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the people, they couldn't see that. Why would Jesus give himself up? I mean, this, he's got a good thing going here. Like, we can't understand this. You're like, you're on a high note, Jesus. Come on, let's, let's keep this thing rolling. More bread, more miracles, bigger show. Let's do this thing. And then later on in the book of Acts, the apostle Paul would have a conversation with religious leaders attempting to explain this after the fact, attempting to explain the mission of Jesus and they were just as blind to what God was doing. Paul declared the words of the prophet Isaiah saying, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing but never perceiving for this people's hearts have become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Now I know, I know what some of you are thinking here, not because I'm a mind reader, but because, you know, I've processed some of these thoughts too. This would never happen to us, right? Like this kind of, this kind of blindness, never would never happen to us. I mean, after all, we have the benefit of history, right? And we study history so that we don't repeat the, makes, the mistakes of the past, correct? Like, that's, we have the benefit of hindsight. Well, you know, sometimes, sometimes we get lost, though, in our pragmatism. We get, we get lost in our pragmatism. We, we put stock in what we can see and feel and hear and smell and taste, and all we know is what we know our intellect, our experiences, and our feelings, and yet, yet Jesus' declaration, and even him walking this earth, it flips all of that on its ear. Because Jesus is 100% human and 100% divine at the same time, and suddenly it kind of bakes our noodle here because it means that there's more than this 
that there is a spiritual component to life that impacts things that we are often blind to because we're not looking at things with spiritual eyes. And Jesus is upsetting the apple cart to shake free some of these spiritual blinders. But the people had letter B, gluttonous expectations. They had gluttonous expectations. In response to Jesus' declaration of of bread from heaven and, and then being the bread of life, some in the crowd would say, always, Jesus, always give us this bread. Always give it to us. Come on, Jesus, we love it. It's so good. Just give us this bread. We're hungry for it. The people like to eat and they were never satisfied. In 1996, the the Dave Matthews Band released a song called Too Much in in which Matthews paints a picture of the insatiable, entitled hunger that we can have in our society for the material and the immaterial alike. He sings, I'm no crazy creep. I've got it coming to me because I'm not satisfied. The hunger keeps on growing. I've got this growl in my tummy. I'm gonna stop it today. I eat too much. I drink too much. I want too much, too much. And the crowd was looking for more for themselves. More miracles, more teaching, more signs, more wonder, more bread. And if we're not careful, we can too. I mean, we really like our church. We really like our, our programs. Oh, we, we really like our, the things that we have preference to. We really like our seat. We really like that preacher to like give me a word that's gonna, that's gonna challenge me but, but not challenge me too much because I really don't wanna do anything with this here. We, we really like to just kinda like nibble at the spiritual buffet of things. And Jesus is challenging this. I say, no, 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 there's a different way. Because Jesus was telling them straight up, I am getting ready to give myself up. We need to remember that all of this, all of this, everything that we do in this place, from the first handshake to the last amen in this place does not belong to us. It does not belong to you. You have no ownership over it. It is Jesus and Jesus alone who is sovereign. And the good news is that if we give it away, it becomes good news. Think about it like this. The good news of Jesus, or what we call the gospel, really only has value when it leaves us and goes out to other people. I've heard it said at many times that the church is the only organization that exists for those who do not yet belong to it. Church, never forget that. Never forget why you exist and why you are here. You see, we hold loosely to all things that God has placed within our hands because that is an acknowledgement of where those things came from. 
even our knowledge and our skills are valueless if they are not given away. Hear me again. They are valueless if they are not given away. That's why discipleship exists. It's why we challenge you to disciple one another, to pour into one another, to serve one another. Because the greatest cure, the greatest cure for this type of gluttonous expectation is remembering that all you have and all that you are is not your own. Jesus himself was preparing to the crowd for the fact that he would give himself up. And they were troubled by this because they had letter C, comfort in the familiar. In verse 60, it says that many of Jesus' disciples would say, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Now, I want to be clear in this. There's nothing wrong with finding comfort in distress. There's nothing wrong with finding the comfort of friendships or even the comfort of a comfortable bed. After all, many would declare Jesus the Prince of Peace and acknowledge that he has a desire for us to live at peace with each other and with God and he also created the Sabbath for rest. But never, never, never mistake peace and complacency. Truth will always trump comfort and peace is often hard won. It may sound oxymoronic to say this, but there is a reason why wars are waged to establish peace. And Jesus was waging war against the powers of hell for our peace. He wanted the spiritual blinders to be removed. He wanted the overconsumption to cease and for the children of God to catch a fresh vision for what he was about to do. And this is where Jesus makes number two, the profession the profession. He says, the words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Jesus was outlining new terms. His declaration of this consumption of, of his flesh and blood, you know what it called into, into question? It called into question where people were finding their sustenance. It called into question, what were people taking in? What were they being fueled by? Up until this point, they're being fueled by the show. They're being fueled by the entertainment, the, the, the comfort of, 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 of uh, predictable Jesus. You see, the act of eating is an act of preservation. I mean, I know that we, there are things that in our culture we eat for, for pleasure. That's why Girl Scout cookies exist, right? Like, any amens for Thin Mints here this morning? Yeah, I knew there were some of you guys out there. But Jesus makes this profession to the people that his words were not the words of a raving rabbi. There was something more to them. These words, they were like a hearty meal they were long-lasting. They were sustaining. They required, they required you to sit down to it. 
These were words that would, f- would be filled and that were filled with the Holy Spirit of God and with life. And Jesus begins to set up this declaration that his word, that his word had finality to it. And then there's this moment. There's this moment as Jesus turns to the 12. And I can't imagine the emotion in this moment as droves are peeling off from the crowd and grumbling about this teaching from Jesus. Jesus turns to his closest friends, to the 12, and says, you don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus doesn't refute that this is a hard teaching. And there's this option, this out. And Simon Peter, he does the thing that Peter always does. He speaks first. (laughs) He's loud. And from Peter comes number three, the confession. He says, Jesus, where else? Where else can we go? Only you, only you have the words of eternal life. In other words, we're ruined. Like we've had the best. Like where else are we gonna go from here? Like this goes beyond bread here. This goes beyond bread here. Where else can we go? We're wrecked, we're ruined, Jesus. Where else can we go? Yours, Jesus, are the last words. You have the last word. Where else can we find words like yours? And friends, if Jesus' words are filled with life and filled with the Holy Spirit, where else can you go? Where else can we go? Where should we go? This concept would change everything. And in this moment, and in this declaration, all of hell begins to tremble because there was a a loosening of its grip. Jesus, the last word, was staging a revolt against the rule and reign of sin and death upon the earth. And in the crowd's murmuring, Satan began to rally and deputize his hired guns. It's no stretch to imagine that these grumblings, these voices that protested Jesus on that day would later find themselves in a crowd crying, crucify him. They would hurl insults and mock him as Satan would seek to make an example out of Jesus and any who might question his reign. And in the fury of the crowd, all hell would scream at Jesus, this is not your home, this is my home, my town, my law. And Jesus crying out from the cross, it is finished. And in that moment, Satan would mock him with, those gonna be your last words, boy. Oh, and the response. A thunderous, resounding response would come not from a fallen teacher, but from a conquering king, the roaring lion of Judah, the ultimate winner, the ultimate victor, yours, not mine. 
sin was defeated, our enemy routed, and the question turns to you today. If Jesus' words are filled with eternal life, who has the last word in your life today? Maybe, maybe for some of you today, you've been saying, you know what, I think I've got a better word. But Jesus would ask you here today, who has the last word in your life circumstances, in your finances, in your troubles, in your, in your direction, in your job, in your marriage, in your future, in your neighborhood, in your relationships? Who has the last word? Because Jesus always speaks words of eternal life. He always speaks words that are filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with life. And you might be thinking here today, yeah, but Damien, you don't know me. You don't know my past. You don't know where I've come from. And you know what I'll tell you? You know what? You're right, I don't. But Jesus speaks a last word into that. And he says, no, he says, in Christ you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And to you who would say, you know what, Pastor Damien, but you don't understand, I have anxiety about things and, and I worry about stuff. And Jesus declares, my last word in that is that I am the Prince of Peace. And you say, but Damien, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the guilt and the shame that I carry. And Jesus says, no, 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 child. You listen. You have been crucified with Christ and you no longer live, but it's me that lives in you. It's Christ that lives in you. And you might say, you know what? I don't have direction, I don't even know what to do and I'm trying to control things and Jesus says, I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and life. There's no way to the Father except through me and my words will be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. And maybe today, maybe today, you would take a look at where you're at right now and you'd say, Jesus, it's yours. It's not mine. May you have the last word. See, and the beauty of this declaration, friends, is this. Jesus isn't selfish with the things that we turn over to him. Actually, he invites us to partner with him he would later acknowledge in Matthew 25 that all authority on heaven, in heaven and on earth was given to him and he would send out his disciples, he would send out you. He would send out you. He would send out you. He would send out you and you and you and me as bearers of the last word. And it begins with your declaration today of Jesus, yours, not mine. Father, we thank you that you have the last word. And I just pray today that we would take this, the word of God, the living word of God, and that you would penetrate our hearts, that we would be changed and transformed. And Father, that you would build our lives not on things that we can see, things that we can say, but, but what you've said. 
and build our life on what you've built. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Let's stand, shall we? The Father, and the fellowship and power of the Holy Spirit be and abide with all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. You're dismissed.